Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop. And today's workshop is on managing the side effects of immunotherapy. And this is part two of a two-part series on immunotherapy and um, new trends in immunotherapy. And um, today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, a grant from Genentech, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of this two-part series, as well as the support of many other programs that we do. We have um, wonderful speakers on our program today, and we also have a lot of wonderful participants. We have over 275 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Brazil, Canada, Germany, India, Iraq, Netherlands, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a global call as well, and it's a credit to all of you that you're spending the next hour with us. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I have a few questions I'd like to ask all of you. Um, um, and um, they, it takes about two minutes to ask you the questions. And for those of you live streaming, if you could just respond to the questions, we would really appreciate it. It helps us to better plan programs going forward. So um, the first question, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. And the question is, I understand how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from the side effects of chemotherapy. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the guidelines to manage the potential side effects of immunotherapy. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I know the importance of reporting immunotherapy treatment side effects and discomfort to the healthcare team. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I know practical tips to manage immunotherapy treatment side effects and discomfort. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And this will be the last question. I understand the significance of immunotherapy clinical trials. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So again, I want to thank you all for participating in these questions, helping us, again, to better plan programs going into the future. And now it's really my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, 
And our first speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is Professor Cutaneous Cancers Medical Oncology, Executive Director, Integration and Program Development Cancer Network, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from chemotherapy side effects, review of potential side effects with guidelines to, for follow-up care, and reporting treatment side effects and discomfort to the healthcare team. And Dr. Wong will also be addressing rash and dry skin in terms of managing that, and also um, communicating with your healthcare team about your quality of life concerns and managing side effects. So it's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Thank you, Dr. Mezen, for that kind introduction, and it's a, indeed an honor and a pleasure and uh, perhaps even a necessity that we spend time together uh, talking about immunotherapy. Immunotherapy has really become one of the dominant uh, themes in medical oncology. It has become uh, one of the leading ways in which you treat patients, and the reason for that is its ability to really uh, give rise to long-term outcomes, and in other words, uh, to use English terms, cure. So what is immunotherapy very quickly, and, 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 and how is it different from chemotherapy, which is what uh, the traditional uh, uh, medical oncology uh, strategy has been? And again, to point out, chemotherapy is not out of the picture completely, but its role as a frontline thing that you do first in cancer is really uh, being superseded in many types of cancer, not all, but in many types of cancers by immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is a strategy in which we treat patients and evoke their immune system to fight the cancer. It's important to realize it's, uh, it's not one organ or one thing. It is, a, it is a system which is comprised of your lymph nodes, your spleen, your thymus gland, your bone marrow, lymph nodes, lymphatic system, uh, your reticular endothelial system, so on and so forth. And, and just by the sheer uh, uh, sort of weight of what I just told you of all the different things, it is a conglomeration of all those things. And it is something which we're born with. The, the immune system is what we have in our body to guard us from the things that don't belong to us. It is designed to fight off things like parasites, like bacteria, and, of course, there's viruses la, la, like COVID-19. And so an important thing, one of the big breakthroughs is to understand that cancers can establish themselves in a, in a person's body by circumventing or dulling down or or putting to sleep our own innate immune system. So understanding that uh, has given rise to therapies which do that. Now, chemotherapy is basically treating individuals uh, with substances uh, foreign to the body that uh, attack critical pathways in cancers. Cancers grow. So oftentimes we use medicines that attack uh, the, the pathway inside cells that allow cells to grow quickly, cancer because it has unfeathered, uncontrolled growth is more sensitive to it, and so therefore um, using medicines that attack that, uh, sort of that, that address those things that uh, go after those growing pathways in cancer cells uh, is a strategy which has really been the forefront of what we've done until recently. And so uh, when, uh, when is not surprised when uh, if I tell you that the other things that grow in your body, like your hair and your blood cells, are likewise susceptible to chemotherapy, and it becomes one of the things that is affected and, and, uh, uh, by chemo. So we have that traditional 
look that we see in cancer patients with what we call alopecia or hair loss in those individuals. Immune therapy, much trickier, because what happens is that as we turn on the body's immune system, uh, all the side effects of immunotherapy have to do with your body's uh, immune system fighting not just the cancer, but yourself. So we call that autoimmunity. And to simplify things, we can say that autoimmunity can, is, a, is, is, in fact, uh, the very foundation, the very mechanism of how we have these side effects. And in reality, any organ can be affected. The thing that's tricky is that it's unpredictable. So when I turn on a patient's immune system, the, how that immune system behaves is a function of their physiology, of their uh, makeup of their immune system, how it was formed. In fact, it may have been influenced by what happens when they were uh, in their mommy's tummy during uh, fetal genesis. It, it's impacted by your in, uh, patient's interaction with the outside environment and so on and so forth. So therefore, um, one of the first things I'm going to leave with you is that uh, is that it is not a altogether predictable who gets what. And, and so as I go through, one of the things you're going to realize is that any tissue can be affected. And so therefore the foundation of good, how we ha of good handling of these side effects really resides in uh, your, your patient, my patients, or your ability to, to interact with your healthcare team. So good communication, knowing the, the, the how to get hold of your healthcare team, the who to talk to. And, in your, and on your side of the fence, understanding that uh, a sort of clear rendition of the side effects are important. Um, and so let's talk about that. When I speak to my patients, I divide side effects into two different types. I tell them, listen, uh, you know, your immune system will be the thing that's going to drive the toxicities, the side effects you see from this. It's not predictable. It's going to happen. Um, however, uh, there are things that are common to everyone and really are troublesome to almost everyone, uh, but thankfully they are not dangerous. There are other side effects that are thankfully not very common, but which really can wor be worrisome to your doctors. And in, a, in the first category, tiredness, muscle aches and pains, joints a little bit achy, uh, and skin rashes, we'll talk about more in a, about skin rashes in a second, those are things that are really indicative of turning on your immune system, and everyone has some degree of that. But I tell folks it's often uncommon where those side effects will debilitate, debilitate someone to the point where they're bedbound. Um, but you know, but it's no, it's important to be aware of these things. Uh, I'll come back to the rash in a second because it's very common and, and it can be very troublesome. The, the, there are other side effects that we worry about that are thankfully very uncommon, but we need to know about. And these include inflammation of critical organs like your your GI tract, your bowels. We call that colitis, and that's manifest as diarrhea, diarrhea, diarrhea. We have. Yeah, it can, it, can, it can inflame your lungs. That's called pneumonitis. That's shortness of breath, chest tightness, uh, low-grade fever, and, um, um, and, 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 a, and a sense of, of, uh, of uh, um, uh, exer uh, I can talk and talk today. Uh, shortness of breath on exertion. Uh, those are two uh, uh, very uncommon side effects, but we worry about them because they can have real ramifications. Any tissue top to bottom can be affected. So they can be your can be your, your, your endocrine glands. It can be your your heart muscle. It can be uh, uh, nerve tissue. So 
what does that mean? Because it's very un, uh, uh, unpredictable and can affect anything, the most important thing I tell my patients is not the blood test or the CT scan. It's in those minutes that we spend together in, in my exam room where we're looking at each other in the eye and you're telling me what's happening. So sometimes it's important to really write things down. One of the things that uh, I ask my patients is that, doctor, I have diarrhea. I'm going to ask things like, okay, tell me about that. What's coming, what's coming out the backside, and so on and so forth. So some, you, you, some ability for you to interact with me to tell me what's happening is important. How many times a day are you going to the bathroom, so on and so forth. So my mother would be aghast if she knew how many times I, I was talking about poop with my patients, but super important, super important. Let's talk about rash for a second because it's very common. Uh, so when you activate your immune system, um, uh, your skin can be – can be very sensitive to uh, external stimuli. And so getting a, having a rash, uh, which can be as simple as little red dots and that, are, that look more, that look more uh, cosmetically troublesome than really bothersome, all the way to uh, large plaques, which are really itchy and almost looking like uh, you're having hives. That, and what I tell folks is that, is that because immunotherapy is an escalating system, in other words, you start with a little bit of of, immunity, of uh, side effects, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's the opposite of chemo, by the way, because if you give chemotherapy, as you go away from chemotherapy, the side effects go away. Here with immunotherapy, because your immune system is, is turned on, that can actually uh, escalate up. And so um, uh, once you have communicated it back to your uh, uh, home doctor, really following up on that is as important. I tell individuals that, uh, and I come from the Northeast and I'm originally Canadian, where your skin is dry, especially in the wintertime, when, when, you know, you have the heater on, humidity is, is very low in the house. Now, I live in Texas now, so that's never a problem. Your skin can be uh, uh, exceedingly sensitive. So uh, moisturizing and, and keeping the skin pliable, uh, especially after you've been in the bath or shower is important. And I note that many of my colleagues on the call are also experts in this area, and I absent a way in as well. Um, in the more troublesome cases, we may use medicated lotions that may contain uh, corticosteroids to help deal with this. This is something which is by prescription and has to be supervised, obviously. So if you haven't taken uh, 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 the message yet, communication with your doctor is extremely important with immunotherapy. So one of the things I also want to uh, talk to you about is it, when you're communicating with the healthcare team, uh, uh, you know, because so many systems can interact, uh, let me share with you uh, uh, what it looks like from my end. When a patient walks in and says, doctor, I feel tired, I'm fatigued, you know, what's going to my mind all the way is, 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 is this the normal fatigue you get from immunotherapy? Are you anemic? Is this a muscle inflammation? Are the nerves inflamed? Uh, is the heart working well? So on and so forth. And so on your end, when you're talking to a doctor, it's, Use qualifiers. As, so you can say, doctor, I'm fatigued, or doctor, I'm so tired, I can't even brush my teeth. I'm so tired, I can't, I, I can't get off the couch to go even eat, right? I'm so tired, uh, I have to uh, count the number of times I go to the bathroom because I don't know if I can make it there and back. And these are actual quotes from my patients. It provides to us a sense of the urgency and, and, uh, and of course, uh, um, you know, it, directs us where to start looking first. 
So important and as, uh, to use qualifiers. And because side effects can change and escalate, also important to keep a sense of, you know, this fatigue is getting worse, it's getting better, I'm more tired, I'm less tired, right? It's not just talking about it once, but talking about it over a period of time. So communication, again, super important, right? So finally, let me end by saying this. Uh, immunotherapy has really changed what we've done in oncology. It has really been, uh, uh, it, has, it has exploded upon the scene. It's now one of the dominant ways of treating patients. But again, you know, because it evokes and uses a system in each of our bodies, the immune system, which is unique to each of us, our side effects are predictably very unique to us. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, as I teach young doctors, I, I jokingly say to them, you know, you're going to at some point wish, boy, I really uh, wish uh, I was back in the good old days of chemotherapy. And I say it jokingly because you can predict sometimes on a calendar what's going to happen when. So because of all this, uh, the last thing I'm going to say to you, for, and again, harping on the same thing, but so important, understanding how to get hold of your healthcare team, who it is on the team that you need to talk to, and and being impressing upon folks uh, the, the importance, uh, the qualification of your side effects. With that, I'm going to end, and, and I appreciate the time that you've given me to talk about this important topic. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Wong. A superb presentation, just a wonderful uh, first presenter on this on this particular program today because it really set the tone for the whole program and gave so much valuable information to our participants. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Allison Bethoff-Warner. And Dr. Warner, Dr. Bethoff-Warner is Assistant Attending Physician, Melanoma Service, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Bethoff-Warner will be addressing tips to cope treatment side effects and discomfort, including flu-like symptoms, fever, fatigue, and diarrhea in the context of COVID-19, the role of activity and exercise in managing treatment side effects, guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology and prepared list of questions, um, and also uh, um, um, the issues of telehealth, you know, really how to prepare for those telehealth and how important they are um, in your communication with your healthcare team in terms of your quality of life. So it's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Beto Forner. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Messer, and uh, thanks to all of you who are listening. I'm delighted to be with you today to talk a little bit about um, side effects and and maybe some ways that you've thought of and some potentially that you have not thought of um, to cope with some of the side effects of immunotherapy. Um, Dr. Wong got us started with a beautiful discussion of um, what many of these side effects may look like and how that may manifest and the importance really of being in great communication with your doctor and your medical team. I always tell my patients that I have a fix for many problems, but I can't fix a problem that I don't know about. Um, and many patients, including one uh, I just saw maybe a few minutes ago, said, oh, you know, I just didn't want to bother you um, with this. It seemed so minor, right? Um, but these minor problems can turn into major problems if they're not treated early and aggressively. 
And so, again, I just really want to reiterate the point that Dr. Wong made beautifully about being truly in close communication with your team um, and, and seeing this as a team, not just a doctor that is making recommendations that a patient should follow. Um, so I'll first start off with talking a little bit about coping with different treatment side effects. Um, and I was asked to speak about this, particularly in the context of the COVID-19 era. And certainly COVID-19 has posed a variety of challenges for us as physicians in trying to differentiate between what may be side effects of immune therapy or other cancer treatment um, and what may be, you know, COVID or other viruses. Um, and one of my sort of mottos throughout the year has just been, you know, when in doubt, test. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I think that we may over-screen our patients for COVID-19 um, because some of the symptoms can be overlapping. But that is truly just out of an abundance of caution and making sure that, you know, we're not missing something else because many of these side effects can be what we call sort of nondescript um, and, you know, nonspecific. And so things like fatigue, right? Fatigue is actually a very, very common side effect of immunotherapy, um, but is very hard to differentiate from fatigue that might be caused by normal life, fatigue that might be caused by stress related to your cancer diagnosis, or fatigue that might be related to having an infection, something like COVID-19. Um, and so once we can just rule out some of those other causes, it becomes much easier to then address this, the underlying problem, um, which may be either a hormonal issue in the case of fatigue, um, you know, potentially other um, issues that, you know, we can test for both um, on laboratories, but also just by having a very detailed conversation, again, as Dr. Wong mentioned. So, um, you know, I think that there is nothing specific that we can say is truly unique about the COVID-19 era and side effects of immunotherapy, but it has made our job and therefore your job as patients and caregivers more challenging um, in the sense that we need to think about all possibilities, right? So, so often patients and physicians jump to think that a side effect or a problem the patient is having is automatically related to their cancer diagnosis. And as I like to tell my patients all the time, unfortunately, you're still susceptible to the cold, the flu, and the everything else that anyone else can get. Um, and we have to really think broadly as opposed to think narrowly when we're starting to work some of these up. Um, and I say that to you as patients and as caregivers um, to, to really open that dialogue with your physicians as well and make sure that neither of you is really, you know, overly focused on just the possibility that this is a side effect of your cancer treatment. Now, very often it is a side effect of your cancer treatment and is very addressable um, once we have ruled out, you know, other infections and other things. Um, 
Specifically, I will talk about, um, you know, the fatigue. Fatigue is a very big challenge for many of our patients. Um, and, you know, many of my patients just say, Doc, can't you just give me a pill for fatigue, right? A pill that will make me feel better. And I say, gosh, man, I, if I could, I would be a billionaire, right? Um, not just for cancer patients, but for all of us. I would love a pill for myself for the, that helps with fatigue. Um, and realistically, what has been studied in cancer and we know has absolutely the best data is actually exercise. And that is counterintuitive to many of us. But in head-to-head -head clinical trial, exercise has been shown to be more effective than any stimulant medicine on the market at treating cancer-related fatigue. Uh, and that's better than things like Ritalin and Provigil and many other medications that our patients ask for. Um, it sounds a little counterintuitive, I know. Um, and the first week or two that patients start exercising, they may not immediately feel better. You may feel more tired or more sore. But if patients stick with it, we know that this, in fact, is the most effective treatment for cancer-related fatigue and treatment-related fatigue. So what does exercise look like for a patient with cancer? So I am not asking any one of you to go out and run a marathon or even to go to a gym. There are many exercise recommendations, and at the end of the day, probably the standard ones are uh, put out by the American College of Sports Medicine. They've been endorsed then by the National Comprehensive Cancer Network and others and that is to exercise 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. So that sounds like a lot, right? But if you do that math, that's 30 minutes a day, five days a week of something as simple as walking. That doesn't have to be 30 continuous minutes, right? That is park in the back of the parking lot, right? That's five minutes of walking right there. That adds to the next time you take the stairs, which may be three to five minutes of walking. All of these get to add together to total 150 minutes per week. And the reason I put this in terms of 150 minutes per week is sometimes 30 minutes a day is not possible. But what we know is that the effect is cumulative. So if Saturday, for example, is a better day, Right? Maybe that's a day that you go for an hour walk, um, and we can get our time in that way. Now, if you're someone who says, well, walking is boring, right? and I like to challenge myself a little bit more, and I feel well enough to do that, the alternative recommendation is for 75 minutes or half that time, 15 minutes a day, five days a week, of vigorous intensity exercise, so riding a bike, something that is making you breathe hard, right? That can be weightlifting, jazzercise, aerobics, you name it, water aerobics, swimming, whatever sounds appealing to you but really gets your heart rate up and breathing harder. Again, 15 minutes a day, five days a week. So when we talk about exercise, it does not have to be this gigantic commitment to, you know, running a marathon or competing in a weightlifting competition. 
um, but something as simple as just changing your daily habits to take the stairs and walk a little bit more. Um, I'd like to take the last couple minutes of this to talk about the changing role and the growing role of telehealth in all of our lives. Um, certainly, the COVID pandemic has brought this to the forefront, um, but telehealth is not new to COVID and is certainly not going away once we have, uh, you know, more recovered more from the COVID pandemic. And personally, I think that's a good thing. Um, I always stress to my patients that I think it is very important to balance in-person visits and telehealth visits. I completely understand that it is more comfortable for patients to see me on their couch where they can watch TV and they can eat a snack and do all of the things that they want to do while they're waiting for me. Um, but there is something special about the doctor-patient relationship and the ability a doctor has when they walk into a room to tell whether someone is sick or not sick or feeling well or not feeling well. And as good as our telehealth platforms are, I don't think any of them have completely replaced that. That being said, quick check-ins between treatments, questions, managing side effects that are maybe more mild, some of these rashes, things like that, um, patients having diarrhea, um, but isn't feeling overwhelmingly unwell, right? These are great telehealth visits where you can get a hold of your doctor quickly. One of the things that I have found for my patients in that setting is that particularly for older patients where the technology may be a little bit frustrating or a little intimidating, they often forget some of the questions that they meant to ask me because they are feeling frazzled or, um, you know, over, overwhelmed by the technology. So a few tips that I have for you. So the first is practice. Right? Your physician likely has an office coordinator or an admin assistant who can actually set up a mock visit with you and run through and use the platform once to make sure that you know how to use it and that you have an easy time getting in touch with your doctor. Um, additionally, just as you would in person, bring a list of questions with you. If something goes wrong with the technology or you, you know, have a bad connection, it's easy to forget something that you wanted to ask. And it's much harder to do that if you have an organized list in front of you. Um, so those are some of my tips. I'm going to hand this back to Dr. Messner and move on to my colleague to have many, many other important things to tell you, um, but I'm happy to take any questions at the end, and I hope this was helpful. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Betaforna. That was an outstanding presentation and really just wonderful, um, covering so many different issues about uh, uh, you know, the, all the different side effects management as well as the role of exercise, movement, and the, and the telehealth visit. So thank you so much. I uh, appreciate that very much. And um, our next speaker is Dr. Mario Lacatour. Dr. Lacatour is Director, Oncodermatology Program, Dermatology Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Professor of Medicine, Professor of Dermatology, Wild Cornell Medicine. And Dr. Lacatour will be addressing managing rash and dry skin, key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns, and the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments. And Dr. Lecturer will also be addressing 
fun safety tips because, of course, um, as I'm looking at all of the participants on the call today, many of you, um, almost everyone is in a in a in a uh, in a climate where we're entering into a warmer season, or there was a warmer season year round. Um, and a few of you aren't, but those some safety tips are important as well. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lacatour. Thank you very much, Caroline, for the invitation, and I would like to thank all of you for being here today. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be able to speak to you today on side effects from immunotherapy. As a dermatologist, I will focus on side effects affecting the skin, hair, and nails. And these are important because although they are rarely severe or limiting in terms of the ability to receive your immunotherapy, they can affect the quality of life. And in some cases, they can affect the ability of your oncologist to add other medications or to continue the medication long-term if uh, it is helping. It is very important to note that skin side effects in the form of a rash that may look like measles or itching or other uh, itchy skin conditions or sometimes painful with blisters are usually the first side effects to appear within the first month or two after starting immunotherapies. In addition, skin side effects appear to be the most common, occurring about one out of three people receiving immunotherapies. As I mentioned before, the good news is that most of these side effects can be managed with appropriate care and appropriate use of medications that are either applied as topically as creams to your skin or taken orally as tablets or pills that you can take to minimize these side effects. The most common reason that I probably uh, see people receiving immunotherapies is an itch associated with these drugs. Interestingly, the itch is not associated with a rash in up to half of these cases, and it may be very difficult to control with uh, just over-the-counter medications. We use medications uh, that are reserved for other conditions. So, for example, we use uh, medications that in some cases are used for pain. Uh, these medications can be effective in dampening that um, activity of the tiny little nerve endings we all have in our skin, sending the sensation to our brain to tell it to, tell it to scratch our skin. That helps people sleep uh, and have a better quality of life. And also with the use of certain types of topical anti-inflammatory medications, we are able to mitigate this in the great majority of people. If these don't have an effect, we can use other medications that have been approved for other itchy skin conditions unrelated to immunotherapy. For example, there are some medications that have been approved for the treatment of hives or eczema in children and adults, and these medications may be effective. And more importantly, they can benefit in terms of improving the side effect and not negatively uh, impacting the efficacy of the immunotherapy that your oncologist has worked so hard to uh, identify and to uh, be able to administer. So one of the key things in mitigating any of these side effects is to ensure that the treatment for the side effect will not affect the efficacy of your medication and also that many of these side effects can appear even months, if not years, after you receive the immunotherapy. So treatments for the side effects uh, should always uh, take into consideration that 
side effects may persist for some time, so the treatments against the side effects should also be uh, associated with a very low rate of their own uh, side effects. Interestingly as well is the fact that patients that develop a rash to immunotherapy and other skin side effects may uh, indicate that they are responding better to the drug. In other words, studies have shown that people that develop rash, itching, or even changes in skin color or loss of skin color as a result of these immunotherapies are associated with uh, greater efficacy of these drugs. So that is why precisely, as Dr. Beethoff mentioned before, it is critical to communicate with your oncologist team early on so these side effects can be managed and your medication can continue to be administered. Now, as Carolyn mentioned, it's going to be very important in the summertime to be careful with anything that could be in contact with your skin or can injure your skin as immunotherapies, as Dr. Kwong very nicely detailed, can activate your immune system and any inflammatory condition may be worse. So, therefore, uh, whenever you go outside, make sure that between the hours of 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., use sun protective clothing, a broad-brimmed hat, use sunscreens with a sun protection factor of at least 30. Ideally, the sunscreens should contain a mineral type of element, so zinc or titanium, as it would protect against all types of ultraviolet radiation coming from the sun. It's important to remember that sunscreens should be applied every two hours or every hour if swimming or sweating. There are also certain types of sunscreens that you can add to your laundry and they will make your clothes sun protective. Also, there are some uh, inexpensive uh, clothing that also have sun protection within them. These long sleeve shirts called uh, rash guards by some are very light and can be used in very hot days and protect you against the sun. Also, they are uh, pants that may be protective in the same way. In addition to this, one of the uh, things that I have learned from many of the wonderful patients that I have seen over the years is keeping track of any skin condition or any other condition that may appear which can be photographed. So if you will have a telemedicine or telehealth visit with your doctor, uh, it is important to obtain photos, if possible, of any condition or any finding that is visible in your body so that if it's not present the day of the telemedicine visit, your doctor can easily see it. One of the reasons for this is most of the telemedicine platforms, they, you will be using a camera, but in some instances, the conditions may affect other parts of your body that may not be easily accessible. For example, you may be on your own on the day of the telemedicine visit, and your skin condition, for example, is on your back, so it may be difficult to see. The lighting is also uh, very important. Uh, the area should be well lit. Um, should try to uh, minimize the uh, amount of uh, noise from the exterior. If you're in a public area, for example, probably best to go into an area where you have some privacy as your doctor may need to see uh, other parts of your body. And now the other important thing is to always, uh, if you are uh, using medications and you are preparing for a telemedicine visit, to have those medications handy in case your doctor needs to see those medications 
so that they can prescribe refills or uh, other medications if those have not been working for any of the side effects that you are experiencing. As with most of the other side effects, Dr. Beethoven mentioned the importance of exercising. And exercising, of course, is great for uh, many reasons. Um, importantly, uh, of course, when exercising, if you are doing out, that outdoors, uh, to keep in mind, again, sun protection between the hours of 10 a.m. and uh, 2 p.m. And always uh, remember to try to keep track of any symptoms that you may be feeling, perhaps in a journal, or if you prefer to write it on your phone. There may be some. There are some apps that help keep you track of any symptoms that you are feeling, so that then it's easier for you to relay these to your doctor, and they can more easily assess uh, what type of side effect you may be experiencing. And of course, uh, nurses are very important in any uh, of our patients care, uh, especially with the treatment of side effects, so keep in close communication with your nurse or your doctor. Uh, these days, many institutions will have uh, certain methods of communicating in a secure manner. They have portal systems that can be accessible uh, through your phone or through a computer, and communicating with them, as has mentioned, been mentioned previously, it is uh, never, uh, there is never too much information. We would like to hear from you. We want to know that you are, how you are feeling. Uh, and even when you are feeling well, it's, it's wonderful to, to hear from patients uh, knowing that they are feeling well, that they are enjoying uh, their time off or their vacations or their times with their families. So in summary, uh, close communication keeping track of your symptoms, reporting them to your oncologist and to your nurse, and always uh, keeping in mind that side effects may be a good indicator that the drugs are being effective are important things to consider as you are being treated with immunotherapies so you can derive the maximum benefits from these really revolutionary treatments. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lacatur. That was really outstanding, and I really appreciate this. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And um, our next speaker is Ms. Diana Bearden, and Ms. Bearden is an oncology dietitian, Michael E. DeBakey, VA Medical Center. And Ms. Bearden will be addressing hydration and nutrition concerns and tips, and I really want to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Bearden. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Um, I'm excited to be part of today's presentation. So nutrition and hydration are essential and, and the tolerance to your treatment and your quality of life, giving you the energy and um, endurance to do the things that you enjoy doing. Like we've heard today already, each person's side effects are unique to that patient. And um, with immunotherapy, there's an array of different experiences a patient can go through. And so it's so important that you do communicate with your healthcare team. Um, there are several members of your healthcare team, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, there's a dietitian, there's social workers, um, there's nursing, there's the physician, there's, there's an array of, of folks who you can communicate any challenge that you're experiencing. Um, in the event that you forgot to say something at a doctor's appointment or another appointment and ask for that person to relay the information if you don't have um, access to being able to do that yourself. 
So the role of the dietitian is to help patients when they're struggling with getting, um, having the ability to eat enough to do what they need to do um, in order to maintain their weight, to meet their nutritional goals. With immunotherapy, we don't see as much um, in the respective side effects that interfere with diet like we do with chemotherapy. But a few that you might um, come across um, include things like diarrhea, maybe some nausea and vomiting, and we've heard a lot today about fatigue. Um, and so in general, I want to just give you all some information on the recommended diet um, for patients going through cancer treatment. Um, now, this is in general, so if you're having specific side effects, um, your diet may look different just to adjust for those side effects and managing, um, helping you manage some of those. But a plant-based diet is what we find is most beneficial for patients. And again, this is in the prevention stage, during treatment, and in survivorship. And how that translates um, when we're looking at your plate is about two-thirds of the plate will come from a plant-based food, such as a whole grain, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. Um, the role of plant-based foods is they provide um, antioxidants, phytochemicals, fiber, um, minerals, things that we get from the ground, from the earth. Now, fresh or frozen are the best forms to get your plant-based foods in. Frozen, believe it or not, is actually superior to fresh. Um, and the reason for that is it's allowed to ripen completely on the vine and be harvested at its peak. Um, oftentimes, then it's cut and cleaned and ready to go, so there's very little um, preparation you have to do um, for those items. The other third of the plate should come from a lean protein source. Um, and a lean protein source is um, an example would be like a wild-caught fish, um, some of your cold water fish are going to be highly recommended because of the concentration of the anti-inflammatory components of um, the DHA and the EPA. And then other items such as white meat poultry, um, beans as a plant-based protein source, and then very lean wild game meats. Protein is important for a building block. It helps repairing tissue. It helps with the regeneration and growth of new cells. And so it's so very important that you do get enough protein in your diet. Now, there might be a need for you to take a supplement or modify your diet, like I mentioned, based on your unique circumstances. But run any supplement that you're taking by your physician. Um, it can seem harmless. A lot of, um, oh, it's herbal, it's natural. A lot of this is kind of sold to patients, and um, there's a lot of issues with regulation with these products, and then, of course, how the interaction is with the treatment that you're receiving. So it's so very important, again, to, like, even if it's a tea or something that seems benign, just run it by your healthcare team just to get their feedback. Um, possible side effects, like I mentioned, including diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting, and fatigue are common. Um, and dehydration can kind of follow suit with some of these. Um, so dehydration can actually increase your side effects. It can actually increase your feeling of nausea. Um, it can actually increase your feeling of fatigue. Um, it can also make you feel dizzy and, and just have a headache. Fluids are so important, and if you're not eating enough, you're usually not drinking enough. Fluids are anything that's a liquid at room temperature, so water, juice, milk, sports <clears throat> drinks. 
And a general guideline is people need between eight and 10 eight ounce glasses of fluid a day. So it's about 64 to 80 ounces a day. Um, when patients are struggling with intake, I find it so helpful um, for patients, this is just what I've observed with patients, is that they have one central location for contact information, for questions that they have for each visit, where they keep their appointment. So just one central location so it's not scattered everywhere. And if you have somebody who's with you, if you have a partner or a wife or a husband or caregiver, having them know what's going on with you. Because when you come to appointments, you don't always feel that great. Maybe you haven't slept well. Maybe you're just not eating well and you just aren't feeling like yourself and you forget questions. So like we've heard today already, coming with your questions, being prepared is so important because we don't know how to help you unless we know what's going on with you. Um, so... In closing, um, just to let you know, there are several members of your healthcare team. We're all here to help support you. You can tell any healthcare member of your team any challenges that you're experiencing along the way and, um, you know, utilize those members to help you feel and do the best you can during your treatment. Thank you for allowing me to be part of today's workshop. I'll now pass the line back over to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. That was really outstanding, ex really excellent. I know there'll be questions for you um, during the Q&A. The questions are coming in already, um, even before Michelle's had a chance to explain to people how to queue up the questions. So, fantastic. Okay. Um, thank you. Um, I'm just going to say a few words about Cancer Care Services. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And Cancer Care is a national organization. Um, we provide services um, through the United States. Um, and people either contact us on our Hope Line or um, come to our website. Um, and um, we have 35 oncology social workers. We've actually increased our staff during the, um, this whole period of the pandemic, and that, that increase will continue just because the need is so much greater now um, for people experiencing many different needs. And so let me over with you what we do. So if you call our Hope Line, you'll get to talk to one of our oncology social workers, and usually people call for specific issues, questions, or for support. We also offer practical, financial, and co-payment assistance, um, and we also have special COVID funds as well. In addition, we also offer case management, which means if we don't have the service you need, our social work staff will get you to the service you need. It could be in your community, in your region, or national, another national program. We will be sure, and we won't just give you a list of places to call. We will actually virtually go with you to those places and make the phone calls with you, visit their websites together, and actually figure out how we can get the service that you need. That's really a very important component of our case management services. We also offer online support groups. We do these type of workshops, about 75 of them a year, and we also a number of publications as well. So that's a thumbnail sketch of the services of cancer care. They're all free. And for those of you who are from other countries, many people um, will uh, email our website with a question, and we also are often able to help you to connect with resources in your region, in in the in the in the country that you live. And we will be able to we will we will try to help you. I just want to say that. With that being said, now we do have um, before we move on to our questions of our speakers, I just have a few more questions I'd like to ask all of you, and. Um, Again, this will, again, help us as we plan programs going forward. And so the first question is, 
As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge of how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from the side effects of chemotherapy. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge about the guidelines for managing the potential side effects of immunotherapy. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident in reporting immunotherapy treatment side effects and discomfort to the healthcare team. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. Now, just two more questions. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in working with the healthcare team to use the practical tips and suggestions to manage immunotherapy treatment side effects and discomfort. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in including clinical trials on immunotherapy in my treatment options. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. And now I'm going to ask Michelle to move us on, and we're going to actually have um, uh, our speakers all bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions online as possible. Um, so, Michelle, if you could um, explain how to queue up for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And uh, this is a question um, for Dr. Wong. How long does nausea last on immunotherapy? Does it go away after the treatment stops? Great question. Uh, nausea is a, a dominant issue with uh, cytotoxic chemotherapy. So, And, in fact, anti-nauseas are built into uh, the pre-medications we give before um, uh, chemotherapy. And so oftentimes uh, we use one, two, three, four, and sometimes even more um, uh, different medications, different strategies, mix and match to really get at the nausea with, with chemo. Immunotherapy, on our hand, a little bit more difficult because, as I said before, it is a function of how we individualistically are, uh, are responding to stimulation of our immune system. Uh, it is not as straightforward, and I tell, in fact, nausea is not a common side effect with immunotherapy uh, to the point where it's not even part of the order set that doctors write and send to the infusion center. So I tell patients if nausea is a dominant symptom, that is a reportable thing to us. One of the things I do with patients is I, and, and, and again, I, I encourage patients to also ask their doctors, I mean, what is your expectation? So I tell individuals, when you get immunotherapy, it's given by intravenous. It's a protein that goes through, through an IV. You do not need a, a implantable port uh, for the most part uh, to, to give immunotherapy. 
I tell them that nausea uh, and sickness, illness, is not part of the infusion reaction that we have. There are things that can happen. So by setting the expectation down uh, uh, or the patient knowing what the expectation are, allow us to really understand what's, uh, what's expected and not expected. Uh, so if, if one of my patients has really bad nausea with immune therapy, that's for me is a flag that, that tells me I have to go and look a little harder about what else is going on. Excellent. And another question for you, Dr. Wong. Can I get the COVID-19 vaccine while receiving immunotherapy treatment? Okay, so this is a, the answer to that question changes as we know more and more. Um, and uh, we understand about looking at databases and collaborating with uh, other individuals, and I invite my colleagues from other institutions to weigh in because you have your own local database. Uh, we've decided that the uh, that what, the, the bad things that can happen to you from getting a COVID infection is uh, is is bad enough that we do not uh, we don't have a moratorium on COVID vaccine while getting immunotherapy. I try to time it that these things are not close together. We don't know what the optimum optimum interval is. We don't know uh, what the best sort of uh, sequence of events are. But I think right now today with what's happening around us. Um, I tell folks that in the, in the context of immunotherapy, have a discussion with your doctor because, remember, not all immunotherapies are the same. Some are vaccine-based. Some are uh, what we call checkpoint inhibitors. Some are combination checkpoints, so on and so forth. Check in with your doctor. Um, in my own personal um, practice, it's a case-by-case, case, and I have not uh, told my patients to not get it. In other words, I encourage them to get it uh, when the time comes up. Excellent. Thank you. If I may. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. 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 Um, so just to give a, I would say agreeing, but maybe slightly different um, perspective, you know, at our institution, um, you know, we again have reviewed all of our patients who are on immunotherapy and, um, you know, have received the COVID vaccine. We are universally recommending that our patients receive the COVID vaccine. Um, there does not seem to be, and there was a publication on this maybe one to two weeks ago now, um, there does not seem to be any increased risk of bad side effects, at least in the patients we have seen so far treated with checkpoint inhibitors, so that's, you know, your PD-1 drugs or your CTLA-4 drugs. That is not um, as Dr. Wong mentioned, necessarily true of all immune therapies, but of the checkpoint inhibitors, there does not seem to be more side effects for patients treated with immunotherapy um, uh, who receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, we do know certainly that the mortality from COVID is much higher in patients who have cancer. That's not unique to melanoma. That's just true of all patients who have cancer. And so, um, you know, at our institution, we have universally said, you know, while this has not been conclusively studied in patients with cancer, from what we know, the benefit far outweighs the risk, and we are uniformly recommending that our patients that are on uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors be vaccinated. 
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is uh, and it's such important. These are important questions, and um, and and so thank you so much. We so we have many speakers. We really appreciate everyone's input on these. Um, and the next question is um, for Dr. Um, Beto uh, Warner. How do I know what to report to my care team and what not to report? Do I report everything? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, you know, I jokingly, but sort of not jokingly, tell my patients that you pay me to do the worrying for you, right? So if you are sitting there saying, I wonder if I should tell my doctor about this, right? The answer is yes. It's uniformly yes, right? Now, you may call and our staff and our nurses may say, don't worry. That's nothing to worry about, right? Those are wonderful calls and we enjoy those, okay? So you are not bothering your team. But as I, you know, said earlier, I can't fix a problem that I don't know about. And as Dr. Wong mentioned, you know, the side effects of these medications are widely variable and can be quite different than what, you know, we're traditionally used to thinking of with chemotherapy. And so it can be very hard for patients and their caregivers to figure out what is relevant or what might not be. But it is exactly what your doctors and your nurses and the rest of your care team are trained to do. So pick up the phone, call portal. As Dr. Locketer mentioned, pictures are exceptionally helpful. Um, and if we say, great, that's nothing to worry about, that's not something that you should feel bad for having fathered your team. That's something that we all are grateful to know and thankfully don't need to worry about. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. And a question for Dr. Lacatour. Um, do African Americans need to use the sunscreen options mentioned? Yes, this is a great question, Carolyn. Thank you for bringing it up. Uh, in general, uh, African Americans or any individual with a uh, darker uh, skin type will have uh, some inherent additional protection against uh, the ultraviolet radiation uh, coming from the sun. Um, and so they would they would need less uh, protection than someone that has less pigmentation. In general, however, uh, we recommend the use of sunscreen in all individuals. Uh, and if you feel like your skin is a little bit sensitive or tingly after being outside in the sun, uh, or if it looks a little bit pink, you probably have had too much sun, and that is just an indication that your skin is inflamed from ultraviolet radiation. But one thing I'd like to tell all patients is that the sun should not really come in between you or enjoying your life. And patients really uh, should be um, okay with uh, doing any activities with their families in vaca during vacations or even during a regular day. So with proper protection and uh, taking some of these considerations that were mentioned before, you should not feel limited in any way to uh, enjoy your lives with your friends and family. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and a question for um, Ms. Bearden. Other than water, what non-sugary liquids are beneficial to consume regularly? How about almond milk? Absolutely. So um, I think that's a great question also because sometimes people, there's so many different drinks out on the market. I get questions even about which water to drink. So um, so anything that's liquid at room temperature, preferably something non-caffeinated, um, water is the best way to hydrate ourselves. 
Um, you can also use things like decaffeinated tea, um, milks, different milks, being your lactose intolerant, almond milk, soy milk, rice milk. Um, those are all totally fine. Um, some people um, enjoy the flavors of sports drink replacements like Gatorade. A lot of people don't really like the taste of water, so I tell them to flavor it with fresh fruit. Um, you know, squeeze or do half fr- uh, fruit juice, half water. Um, fruit juice is also fine, 100% fruit juice. Um, those are all great options for, for hydrating yourself. If you're having a lot of diarrhea or nausea and vomiting, I always tell patients to keep Pedialyte on hand because that's a good way to replace some of the losses um, with vomiting and diarrhea. Excellent. I want to thank our speakers. You've really been phenomenal today. This has been an amazing program, and we could go on for quite some time. I want to thank our participants as well because you've asked such really great questions, and I know there are many more questions in queue. So I want to thank participants and our speakers. It's been a great, just a great synergy. We've done this program in the past. We have never had this degree of uh, really Great questions and great speakers all together. So uh, winning team, that's all I can say, and one that we'd like to repeat again, clearly. Um, so I do want to um, address, I want to thank everybody, and I want to actually address the issue of those of you who still have questions in queue because we could, we actually probably have an hour, an hour and a half worth more of questions. So we did say this would be an hour program. And so for those of you who asked a question, for those of you who um, didn't get to ask a question, and for those of you who thought of a question during the program, um, we ask you to go back to your healthcare team and, again, take that question and ask it of your healthcare team as well. They know everything about you. They're, of course, very familiar with your situation. They have your records and things like that. Um, and so definitely ask your healthcare team. You can either make a special visit to see them or you can set up a telemedicine visit or telehealth visit, um, but be sure you get those questions that you have um, asked. Also, I do want an answer, of course, um, and you know, most importantly um, from this program today, we hope you've learned information that will better inform your questions that you ask your healthcare team and make you more confident in asking those questions because all your questions are great. They're important questions to ask. Now, in addition to that, um, for those of you, um, during this program, we did mention resources and things like that. So at the end of the program, you're going to get a survey monkey evaluation. Well, actually, it'll come about probably tomorrow. And in that um, evaluation, there will also be um, a number of resources, um, uh, websites, and, um, and organizations that we think would be helpful to you as well. So you'll be getting that information um, as well as some links to materials that we think would be helpful to you as well to have. Uh, so most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I, I really we prefer that no one feel alone. Now we know it's normal to feel alone dealing with cancer and dealing with cancer treatments and in the midst of this, um, you know, in the midst of COVID and, and all that. Nevertheless, we want you to know that you're kind of really a mouth click away or a telephone call away from support. And we're going to give you a list of organizations in addition to your healthcare team, because remember your healthcare team is there for you too. And also check with your healthcare team about evenings, weekends, and holidays, because those seem to be the times when people really have the most questions. So with all that being said, and for those of you who wish to pursue services at Cancer Care, we'll also provide you information of how to call us, our website, all that information. So I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.